This is the second week in which we are choosing to look at Advent and the readings for Advent through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. And last week we talked about the, the reign or the rulership of God and how Jesus' prayer is future-oriented, looking toward the fulfillment of all of the promise of what happens when God's reign is made manifest. We talked about how God is hallowed and completely other. We talked about how God is, is uh, intimate like a parent and distant as one who is in heaven. And so today we get to John the Baptist, not exactly a reading that makes you want to say Happy Christmas after the unquenchable fire has got going, but, uh, but, but, but he starts trumpeting with his call for repentance. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus, too, asks us to, that the kingdom be present in our lives, thy kingdom come. And not long after that, we find ourselves asking forgiveness. Uh, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses. Repentance, we've observed many times, means turning. Repentance is the turning of our lives and especially turning toward that which really matters in life and the consequent rearrangement of our priorities and the shaping of our vision and our perspective. And this means that full-fledged repentance, if we're honest, is not something we do very often. That whole-hearted, full, wholesale shift in our lives is not something that happens too much. We already organize our lives around things that matter to us, sometimes uh, for evil and sometimes for good. Those of you who have been in 12-step programs know how much you, you've spent time organizing your life either around an addict or an addict trying to make sure that the parties we go to don't, uh, are definitely going to serve alcohol or making sure there's time to get high before going out or whatever it is. We organize our lives around these things. And then we organize our lives around good stuff too, like making a living and exercising and brushing our teeth and doing those other things that we're supposed to do. Um, and, and so we already find there isn't a lot of room for conversion. But when it happens, uh, what turns our head, in a sense, is love. Uh, I remember it's probably, Alexander is 19, so it's got to be over 20 years ago, that I always wondered how you make the children thing work uh, when you're busy and there's only so much money. And how do you add a child into that? Economically, it doesn't seem to work out. And as you know, of course, the child comes and love just takes over and everything in life gets reoriented. It never works out on paper, but it works out because life changes, priorities shift, the needs of this child become preeminent. I often find myself talking with couples getting ready to make commitments to one another. Uh, and, and if they're particularly in the post-college years, find themselves talking about their friends. And how are we going to do your friends and my friends? And how are we going to keep seeing them and doing the things we used to do? And what about the beach trip? And what about going, getting together with the guys or the girls? And all of that sort of conversation goes on. And then something happens. The love claims a priority. And a couple stands before God and, the, and their church and makes commitments to one another uh, and, and says, this is the most important human relationship in my life. From now on, this is the key uh, relationship that governs all others. And over time, things shift, and relationships with friends shift, and, and uh, the, the what's, what's most important in life starts to take over. And so how much more is it 
when we start to get grasped by the reality of the kingdom drawing near. My hope and, and imagination suggests that most of us have a sense of what that's like, uh, where, where a claim is made that causes us to turn our whole lives upside down, to start, in a sense, making new friends, in a start making new commitments, and start living into a, a new perspective on the world that happens when we turn our backs on darkness and turn toward light and allow what really matters to inform us and shape us and, and make us, uh, draw us to be the people that we were created to be, the love, people made for love by love. That kind of turning, that kind of, of, of new perspective organizes everything. If you've met people who've tried to fit God in to life and make God one more thing in a busy life, it doesn't work. God will always wind up being the bottom of the heap because God isn't going to help very much with the resume or with income or with any of those other things. And so church becomes the thing you might do when, when there's nothing better. And that winds up not really working. It's not allowing the shift to take place in our lives that really marks repentance, the, the turning toward what really matters. One of the things we recognize with a new perspective is how distorted some of our old views were. When we're living our lives and just getting on with it, we don't really know uh, how distorted some of our vision can be. You don't know until you have a new vision. You don't real, we don't realize what was going on wasn't okay until the new thing happens. You, didn't realize, you don't realize how unhappy you are until you get happy. And, and so one of the things that we realize is that we had distorted visions of ourselves and of others and of what really mattered as things start to, get, start to get reshaped and we get into all kinds of trouble. And so once we recognize that distortion, which is sin, we start asking forgiveness some of you will have read uh, Ken Follett's recent book. It's called Fall of Giants, and it's the first in a trilogy, and it's a story of the First World War. It's not great literature, but he's a great storyteller. And he goes through all of the permutations and things that, that led to that ghastly war. Uh, and one of the things that comes through, is it, and it comes through in more formal histories as well, is that just about everybody involved, particularly those in power, royalty and aristocracy and leaders of governments and so on, uh, see themselves as almost ruling by divine right. It's not the phrase they use, but, but uh, there's a clear sense of the aristocracy know, know what's best for the people. And, and, and the, the matters of honor and government and calculations that led to that, that slaughter uh, was was partly coming out of perverted or wrong perceptions. European nations jockey for who is best or most important or most powerful. Um, and we have the aristocracy over the populace at large. And, and we, we have Europeans who certainly see themselves as better than uh, Arabs and certainly see themselves as uh, better than uh, colonials, uh, Africans, they're out, they, those are people who need civilizing. And of course, what we have is the best way to live. Uh, and so, of course, they would want what we have to offer. And of course, we know what's best for them. That's the sort of attitude that permeates the whole thing, the relationships between 
genders, the relationships between classes, the rise of Bolshevism. It's all in some level coming, and war itself, this unfathomable, dreadful slaughter. It's all in some sense a consequence of, of distorted perception. And, and of course, we must mention that the English of any class know they are better than a foreigner of any variety. <laughs> it, it, just, it just reeks of that sort of thing and, and comes through. And I remember, I, remember, I remember my grandfather limping till the day he died because he was invalided out of that, that carnage, and in a sense, uh, blessedly so. It doesn't take a huge leap of imagination to see modern-day philosophies of nation-building held by people of every political stripe and seen as a good thing. But perhaps that's coming out of similarly distorted views as to what is right and good and truly important. Of course they want democracy. They should welcome us with open arms. Do we perhaps have a distorted view of ourselves and what's going on? And is that leading to brokenness? These distorted views, whether, whether we think we're wonderful and blessed individually or whether we suspect that we're a fraud and one day we'll be uncovered and discovered, and some of us live with that kind of anxiety, these distortions are all sin. And when we become aware of God drawing near, of the kingdom of heaven drawing near, and our turning with repentance uh, being the proper response and reordering and reorganizing our priorities, then pretty soon we're going to find ourselves needing forgiveness because we're going to have our eyes open to the distortions that lead to brokenness, broken relationships of which we're not even aware today. And failure to recognize the proximity of the kingdom will lead us further into the kind of degradation that will seem as though we are chaff in the unquenchable fire, probably an experience sort of like being in the trenches in the First World War. And instead, we can see ourselves as life-giving wheat in the granary as we turn toward what really matters. See, we can't tell what's distorted until we get a new view and a renewed perspective. You might have participated in worship for years and then suddenly hear a phrase uh, in a completely new way as if you'd never heard it before. And that's part of what it's like to being granted new perspective. It's not necessarily for people already committed to following the way of uh, Jesus. It's not necessarily going to be a radical thing, but each week we come back and turn again and tell the story and, and remember what really matters. Uh, and when we do that, we'll fairly soon find ourselves needing a lot of things, including forgiveness. And so this preparation for Christmas... It all sounds pretty grim when you listen to the prophets, but actually it's part of the preparation for the celebration of an even greater experience of God's freedom and claiming of the promise and an overflowing of love. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses, in part as response to the prophet who proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so as always, we pray in silence and in response to the gospel, perhaps praying, O Lord, thy kingdom come, forgive us our trespasses. Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.